Come Holy Spirit, come, because um, unless the Spirit shows up, uh, not much happens. I don't know if you've noticed that in your own life, but when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you in a real and dramatic way, things begin to change uh, in your life as never before. God begins to move in powerful ways, and that's our prayer for this morning. So if you'll go to Romans chapter 15, we're going to finish up this chapter. I've got one more message in this in this series uh, next Sunday, and then we're going to be moving on to a brand new series called Epic Faith, and uh, Epic Faith is uh, a series based on Hebrews chapter 11, which is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, uh, where God begins to describe the faith activity of his people as they are moving and relying upon the Holy Spirit to do things in them and through them that are that are supernatural, that cannot be explained away. So we're going to spend uh, six weeks in that series uh, that will take us all the way through Easter. So in uh, Romans chapter 15, the latter part of this chapter, um, Paul kind of wraps up this chapter by talking about ministry and why ministry is so vitally important, uh, not only in the life of our church, but also in our individual lives as we are seeking to be used by the Lord to help others come to faith in Christ and to grow in Him and to walk with Him and uh, to learn how to share their story and invest in the lives of others. I mean, that's the goal of our church. Uh, we said that we exist to help you take your next step with God. We want you to go on a journey with Christ. You, you receive Him as Savior and Lord of your life, and now you want to grow in that relationship. You want to develop in that relationship. We want you to get to the point where you are sharing your story, your faith story with others, your encounters with God with others, and then as you grow and mature that you begin investing your life into the lives of others so that they can experience exactly what you have experienced as a result of your, your walk with the Lord. Now in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to build my church in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Jesus did not say that the gates of hell won't try to prevail against it. He said it just won't happen. So you need to keep in mind that anytime God is moving in a powerful way, Satan always counters that in some form or fashion. So as we are walking with the Lord, as we as a church are moving forward with Christ and God's doing some supernatural things, we know that there's always going to be pushback from the evil one against everything that God's seeking to do in our lives and through our lives. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. He is the one who's going to build it, but we are in partnership with him for that to happen. So Jesus gives us the purpose and the power now we have the calling and the responsibility to integrate ourselves with Christ and to build his church. And really this is what Paul has been dealing with in chapters 14 and 15, is how do we unite ourselves together in oneness in Christ to the degree that it is our goal, it is our desire, it is our passion to see Christ build his church through us. And Paul said, one of the things it's going to require is unity. In other words, where there is unity, there is power. There is a force that is involved. Where there is disunity, there is weakness, and there is chaos, and ultimately there is destruction. So if we're going to unify ourselves together, we have to agree to disagree about some things agreeably, right? So there are disputable matters, as Paul said, 
These aren't things where God clearly spells something out. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. These are areas of grayness where the, 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 the Word of God doesn't specifically speak to that situation. And so you might have a uh, you know, preference. You may have a conviction over something, and we might disagree over that conviction or that preference concerning that disputable matter. But we need to be unified uh, in oneness of heart, mind, and purpose so that we fulfill the calling of God upon our lives and the life of our church. And therefore... Um, in these disputable matters, Paul says, hey, uh, let's, let's get together and let's talk about this. And we may have to agree to disagree, but we do want to be co-laborers with Christ in the mission. So I gave you the football illustration is that you've got, you know, you've got players on the field, both offensively and defensively. Those players have different positions. They have different personalities. They have different abilities. And yet, but they're all working together for one goal, and that is offensively to push the football across the goal line, defensively to keep the opponent from pushing the ball past them to their goal line. And so Jesus gave us this commission in order for us to co-labor with him to build the church. What is the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I want you to go and I want you to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Now when Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me, that word authority means legitimate authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, since I've showed up on the scene, I'm the only legitimate authority here. The demonic beings who are, you know, out there in the cosmos and who are filtrating themselves here on planet Earth and seeking to, you know, fulfill the desires and the wishes of their commander-in-chief, Satan, they are illegitimate authorities. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of our lives. He is the only legitimate authority that is over all of God's creation. And when he is moving, he moves. And there's nothing that the demonic world can do about it. So when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, you and I are in partnership, co-laborers together to see this happening. And so as God is seeking to use you to bring a person to faith in Christ or to, or to display Christ through your life, in their life, listen, Satan's always going to push back against that, but he has no authority to overcome you unless you give him permission to do that. Even in the area of temptation, he has no authority to make you do something that you don't want to do. And so the Bible teaches us that all of this authority has been given to us, and God says, now let's leverage my authority in building my church by going and making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have made. Now, the only command in that commission is make disciples. The baptizing, uh, the going, baptizing, the teaching, those are participles that help us fulfill the command of making disciples. 
And so this is our engagement. This is what Paul was engaged in. He knew that he possessed something that even the demonic world could not overcome, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power, it is the authority of God over all of his creation, and it has the power to save. It has the power to pluck somebody out of the kingdom of darkness and put them into the kingdom of God's son. It has the power to forgive sin. It has the power to raise up that person who was spiritually dead into spiritual life. It has the power to breathe into them the breath of life, the spirit of God. It has the power to make them a brand new creation in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power to heal. It is the power to deliver. It is the power over the demonic world. And we carry that source of power and the the authority of that power has been granted to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in order for us to leverage it for kingdom purposes. And so Jesus, man, he, this authority to command, to make disciples, um, you know, Satan is very blatant in his activity in our world in our day and time. But God is beginning to move in some very supernatural ways. And segueing off of what Randa shared, you know, this is the, the call of the church is that we are to humble ourselves and we are to pray and we are to make sure that whatever wayward ways are in us that we confess that before the Lord and God brings revival in the church and when revival hits the church, that's when God brings awakening outside the walls of the churches into the country and to the world in which we live. Now, again, people are asking all the time about the Asbury revival, you know, a, a number of, the number of people who descended upon, I think people are really interested in the Lord right now because, listen, government ain't helping anybody, and the world leaders aren't helping anyone. I think that there, God has set up the, um, the possibility of an awakening happening uh, around our world, not just in our country, but around the world, because we know that these things just aren't working for humanity. And so in Wilmore, Kentucky, the little town, 6,000 people, only 2.6 square miles, uh, 50,000 people descended upon that little town during that two weeks of revival on a college campus on the February the 18th, which was a Saturday night, 20,000 people were trying to get into the town. The police officers encamped themselves outside of the town, turning people away because they couldn't handle all the traffic anymore. And people are saying, well, is this a movement of God? Is this a movement of God? Well, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take a, 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 a page from the Bible in Acts chapter 5 in which the apostles are being used by God and God is moving in powerful ways and people are being saved and people are being healed and people are being delivered and the Sanhedrin council kind of rose up against the apostles and said you know what we've got to put a stop to this thing it's getting out of hand and then, so they did they drug in the apostles and said you've got to stop speaking in the name of Jesus they said we cannot stop we're not going to stop telling people about what we have seen and what we have heard and what we've experienced. And they're communing among themselves in the Sanhedrin. It was like the Supreme Court of their, their people. And, and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And finally, Gamaliel, who is a 
teacher of the law, who was a teacher of the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, he stood up and here's what he said to those who were listening. He said, listen, leave the men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you cannot stop what God's doing. You can't. And so if this revival and the other revivals are hitting college campuses, if this movement is of God, the demonic world has no authority, no power to stop it one iota. I don't know about you. I just want to get in on it. Like, if this is a movement of God, I want to ride the wave. I, I want to jump on my surfboard. I've never surfed before, but I think God will hold me up there if I just get on the wave and ride with him. I hope that is, uh, you know, the heartbeat of your life and the heartbeat of our, of our church is that we would ride this wave. So let's carry the gospel into the world with the authority and the power that Jesus has given to us. How do we do that? I think Paul gives us seven qualities of a healthy ministry it's going to be rapid fire this morning, okay? So here's the first one is respect, respect. Chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves, now notice three things he says. You're full of goodness, you're complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So Paul writing to the Romans. Remember, Paul has never been to this church. He didn't start this church, but he's familiar with the church. He knew a lot of people in the church. When we get to chapter 16, he's going to thank a lot of people whom he knows in this church. But Paul is writing to this church, and he notices these three qualities about them. And what he is saying, in essence, I've noticed this church. I've observed it from afar. I've heard reports about what's going on there. And I notice that you are growing in the Word of God. You're growing in the Word which is the process by which we get the Word of God off the pages and into our lives. It's not something we're just reading and forgetting the next five minutes. It's something that is penetrating deep within the depths of our souls that actually results in changed lives and changed attitudes, changed mindsets, and changed actions. It is the Word of God. It is necessary. It is desirable to be like food is to the body. Because it is the scripture that equips us for the Christian life. How does it equip us? Well, it changes our mind. It changes our thought processes. Because until your mind changes, nothing changes in your life. Nothing. The mind is the control center of all things. Your life is always moving in the direction of your most dominant thinking. That's why Paul said back in chapter 12 and verse 2, if you want to experience the transformation of the Holy Spirit, it starts with all, it all starts with the renewing of the mind because the way I think affects the way I feel, which ultimately affects my actions or what my body does. It is transformation. And the transformed mind comes through the study and the application of God's word. 
which is why it is so important. And this is why he makes these three statements. Man, the word of God is getting inside of you. The transforming power of the word is being released within you. The spirit of God is moving down within the depths of your soul so that now you are becoming a new creation in Christ and those around you are seeing how God is moving in your life and moving in your heart and has made such a dramatic difference that they cannot help but take notice about the hope that is deep, deep within you. And Paul was respectful. It's like, man, I tell you, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, uh, you know, from, from afar is that God is just absolutely revolutionizing your lives. And Paul had a great respect for their ability to take the word of God and to translate it into everyday life. This is the biblical word, wisdom. That is what wisdom is all about, is God taking the word of God and making it applicable to our everyday lives so that transformation actually takes place. So they are growing in their walk with Christ. They are sharing their faith. They're investing in the lives of others. And God is moving in the city of Rome because of it. Number two is a calling. A calling. Verse 15. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave to me to be minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by whom? By the Holy Spirit. And so, um, I don't know about you, but the day, uh, well, this is true of you, the day that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says something supernatural happened to you. Now, you didn't see it, you didn't feel it, but it says that the Spirit of God baptized you into the body of Christ, right? So now you are in Christ and he is in you, favorite term that Paul uses. We, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of our redemption. And so the Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. This is a water baptism. This is a supernatural act of the Spirit of God that happens at the moment of salvation. And at that moment in time, God puts a calling upon your life to function in the body of Christ. Now, to fulfill that calling, God will give you spiritual gifts to keep you in alignment with that calling. He gives you a heart. We talk about this, our shape. He gives you a heart, a passion for something. He's given you natural abilities. He's given you a personality. He's given you a variety of different experiences that help align you for the calling that God's going to put on your life. This is exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. God put a calling on his life to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish. Now, whenever Paul entered into a town, he would go to a synagogue. He would go to a place where the Jews would, you know, be there in groups, and he would declare the gospel to them first. But his ultimate calling was to take the gospel of Christ to the Gentile world, which you and I are a part of, and aren't we grateful that Paul did that? Because what he began, God began to multiply in a supernatural way. And so each of us, and we say this, every single person in our church, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a ministry, you have a calling upon your life. But here's where we get the pushback, and this is the thought that the enemy places in our minds that keeps us from fulfilling the calling of God upon our lives. Well, I just wish I knew the will of God for my life. 
How many of you have ever said that? Well, I, you know, I, if I only knew God's will for my life, if I only knew God's will for my life, and so many Christians spend their entire lives trying to figure out God's will for their life as though it were lost, it is not lost. Uh, you just, it, it's not an issue of finding it. It is an issue of being in the Word of God because 99.9% .9 of God's will is found in the Word of God. And the other areas in which God needs to move you, it's not about sitting back and saying, well, God, you know, give me my 20-year plan, and I'll, I'll engage, I'll get involved. Did, is that what Abraham did when God called him out of a pagan nation? And he says, listen, Abraham, I'm calling you out of this nation. I want you to walk with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. I'm going to, through you, develop a nation through whom the Messiah will come. Now, get up, pack up, and let's go. And Abraham would, like us, we would have questions. Well, now, Lord, where are we going? And how long is it going to take us? And what are the rewards that I might receive on the way? And by the way, is there a 401k involved in this? Are you paying my health insurance? I mean, what's going on? Abraham was an extremely successful and wealthy businessman in his own hometown. But Abraham, it says, packed up and he followed the Lord. And God says, I'm not giving you a 20-year plan. You just start walking, and I'll show you the way, and I'll let you know when you get there. This is the same calling God's put upon our lives, right? It's not about sitting down and trying to figure out God's will for my life. It is a day in and day out, kneeling before the Lord with the word of God open and listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit every single day. The Spirit of God can speak to us in many different ways, but one of the primary ways he does that is through his, his word. And so rather than just trying to think, well, you know, God cares more about our response, you know, than, than the Spirit's leading, right? He cares about the Spirit's leading. He cares about us being in tune with the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to lead us day in and day out, so that as we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions, He guides us and He directs my steps. He charters my pathway so that as I start following that path, I respond to Him and just walk with Him. And He will keep my feet on the right path that's leading to the right destination. When I understood God's calling upon my life to go into ministry, I had no idea what kind of ministry. I had no idea what God was going to do through any of that. All I know is God said, quit your job, get on the path, start following me. I'm going to use you in, my, in my, the building of my church, and here's how I'm going to use you. I didn't know if it was going to be a pastor, an evangelist, a youth guy. I had no idea. God just says, you don't need to know any of that. Just get up and start walking. And that's exactly what I did. I quit my job, and I got up, and I just started to walk. I didn't even know where I was going to go to school. I had no idea what college I would go to. And all of a sudden, God brought a pastor into my pathway who knew an administrator at a college and said, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. And God made it clear, this is where I want you to go to school. And when I want to finish college, where am I going to go to seminary? I had no idea. I thought I would go to you know, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the, it was the closest place to Ohio. But then all of a sudden, God put on my heart... Marla has a cousin who was a missionary to Africa, and he was on furlough working on his PhD. He said, hey, how about you come out here and look at South, you know, uh, 
Southwestern Seminary, so I flew out there not knowing what's God doing, and all of a sudden, God, uh, when I was on campus within the first day, it was as clear as bell. God says, this is where I want you to go to school. This is where I want you to plant yourself for the next three and a half years, and that's exactly what I did. So it's always been a step-by-step progression, and so I believe that a part of the desire to know God's will for your life is birthed out of fear that results in paralysis. It's like, oh, if I don't know exactly what it is God wants me to do, I can't move forward until I know exactly what it is. That's hogwash from the enemy. You just keep moving forward. It's easier to direct a moving car than it is one sitting still. You keep in tune with the Spirit and let Him move you in the realm of your calling. Number three is power. Power. Therefore, I glorify in Christ. Jesus, in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Listen, Paul understood his power, his confidence did not come from himself. It wasn't rooted in his abilities. It wasn't rooted in his smartness. It was rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly where our power source resides. The Spirit of God who lives inside of you can enable you to do anything God wants you to do. I don't care how you know, unworthy you may feel. I don't care how ill-prepared you might feel. I don't care how you might, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. That's all hogwash. That is all lies in the mind from the enemy to keep you from doing what it is God wants you to do. God can do anything through anyone. If he can speak through a donkey for crying out loud, he can speak through you. And so I, I, I pray, you know, every time I, I come here to speak God's word, I, I pray for God's hand to be on the messages that I share. But more than that, I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be here because if the Spirit of God doesn't bring life to his word, then there is no life transformation that happens inside of us. We can all, you know, say amen, great day, you know, great day let's, let's all go do our thing. But we, we want, I preach not for information, I preach for transformation. I do not read the Bible just for information, I read the Bible for transformation. Listen, I'm a teacher at heart, which means I get all hung up in all the little minute details. You, you can't imagine how much of my message every Sunday ends up on the cutting room floor because I haven't got, you haven't got time to listen that much. You don't even want to listen that much. So when you walk in the door, my, my, my desire is that when people walk through the doors of our church, that they, they experience, they feel that power of God in this place. That like the Spirit of God is like hovering over our church and His presence becomes so thick that people cannot help but know that the Spirit of God is here. That's what 
Paul wanted. That's what he desired. Do you sense God using uh, you in the ministry to strengthen you and touch you and to encourage you? This is the Spirit of God. This is what he wants to do. And so the Spirit of God working powerfully and in a supernatural way can bring a church to a place where all of a sudden we begin to see the movement of God, people being saved and people being healed and people being delivered and the things of the Spirit as he desires to unfold himself in our presence. I I don't know about you, but I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be filled by the Spirit. I want to be anointed by the Spirit or more fundamentally or at least as much fundamentally is that we would be led by the Spirit day in and and day out, and so we just kind of come and we just release the Spirit. Do you know where the Spirit takes you before the releasing happens? Do you know when there's the, there is, God says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make new wine. You know where new wine comes from? The crushing of grapes, or what the Bible calls brokenness. And so the Spirit of God, the first place he leads us is to the cross, Because it is at the cross of Jesus Christ that we experience our crushing. It is a dying to self, which is why Paul started in Romans chapter 12, that we are to come to God in light of all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, is that through that relationship with Christ by way of the gospel, now I'm offering my body up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him, and experiencing the transformation of my mind through his word so that I might know the good, pleasing will of God and to live that out, but it only comes by way of crushing. It is denying self and selfishness in order to be used by the Spirit of God. It is the stripping away of our pride. It's the stripping away of our fears. It is a brokenness that results in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the verse that Randa shared with us this morning is exactly that. It is the brokenness within us that results in the outpouring of the Spirit of God It's the power source of what we need. Number four is a vision. Paul had a very distinct vision. He says it is always, verse 20, has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul had a desire to take the gospel into Spain, which was kind of the end of the world for his known world. And he says, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And so Paul Paul was always, he had a vision. Vision is, you're kind of seeing what God wants to do, and he's always planning ahead. Because when Paul is penning this this, uh, book in the Bible, the book of Romans, Paul is in the middle of one of the most tremendous revivals probably in all of human history. You read about it in Acts chapter 19. It is this revival that broke out in Ephesus. 
and, and people are being saved, and people are being delivered, and, and even, you know, Paul's like sweat rags are being laid on people, or, and people are being healed, and in our economy, like $2 million worth of occult books are being burned. I mean, God is moving in a tremendous way, and while all of that is happening, Paul is helping Corinth deal with divisions and problems in that church, and, and he's hearing about what's going on in Rome, and he's, he's writing this epistle to Rome, and he says, you know what, my desire is to come to you and spend some time with you on my way to Spain. Now, Paul never made it to Spain. He did end up in Rome the first time in chains as a prisoner for a couple of years, awaiting a trial because he appealed to Caesar, and he was released for a a period of time, but was taken back into prison in Rome and was ultimately beheaded there. He never got to see the vision fulfilled of going to Spain, but he was always reaching for what God had put out in front of him. Let that be an encouragement to you because as you are following the Lord and God gives you great vision about what God may want to do in you and through you, and it might be that you it never comes to complete fruition, but it doesn't mean that you have faltered or failed in the journey. It didn't, wasn't for Paul. And so he, he says, listen, I, my desire is not to build on another man's foundation. I'm, I'm taking the gospel. And so my vision is I, I want to go to Spain and I'm going to spend some time with you in Rome and, and I'm going to continue on and, and God's going God's to do a great work. And so vision, you know, God, uh, again, God under, wants us to see what it is he wants to do in us and through us. He, he kind of gives a vision. Now, I'm a very visionary kind of person, which simply means I, I see things in pictures. I don't necessarily see words. I see in pictures. It's what the um, secularists will call mind mapping. Like, for example, when I do a, a message, I, I mind map the message. I, I see it in pictures. It's put in file folders in various places in my house, and I just pull out the file folder, and I know where I, I'm going the next time. And so God always gifts us with very practical gifts so that we can fulfill the vision that God puts in our hearts. Sometimes that vision may come very, uh, fulfillment come very quickly. Sometimes it is very slowly. God gave me a vision for this church. I've been here for 24 years, and I've yet to see it come to fruition, but I think we're on the brink. Now, there are things that you get and receive sometimes as ways, gifts that you're like, this is not very practical. How many of you men, uh, I, I received one of these for Christmas from my daughters uh, way back when I was, you know, a young man, and it was called a soap on a rope. How many ever got a gift of a soap on a rope? Now, here's the thing about a soap on the rope is that one size fits all. I'm not a very tall guy. So when that soap on the rope is around my neck, that soap only hits one place. I'll save you the details, but when I'm thinking, what, what the heck is this? I swung around, the soap went up in the air and came down and landed. I stumbled, almost hung myself in the shower because of the stupid soap on the rope. It's way more information that you needed, but the point is... Listen, God doesn't give us gifts that we don't need. 
if God has gifted you, if God's given you a passion, if God's given you abilities, if God has given you a personality, if God has given you a variety of different experiences in your life, and some of those experiences are very painful and experiences of deep, dark valleys of brokenness, he never wastes a single thing in order to fulfill the vision he's going to put on your heart if you'll follow the Spirit's guidance. God desires that for all of us. He desires that for us corporately as a church, and it takes all of us moving together. Number five is compassion. we got to have compassion to move us out of our pews, out into, into the streets. And he picked this up in verse 25. He goes on to say, um, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia, were, were pleased to make contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them with their material blessings. So after I have completed the task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way." And so Paul was talking about taking an offering to those saints in Jerusalem. Now remember, that's where this church started, right? In Jerusalem, the Spirit of God comes upon the disciples. Peter stands up and he preaches. And, and man, there's like 5,000 getting saved and thousands are getting saved after that. And so it all begins there. And so now what Paul is saying to the church at Rome, listen, we have all benefited from Jerusalem, spiritually speaking, and therefore, you know, now, you know, there's the poor in Jerusalem, we want to help them out. Since you have benefited from the spiritual movement of God out of Jerusalem, how about taking up an offering, and I will deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem on my way to see you. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. He is, he is um, moving forward in compassion in response to those who are struggling, in response to those who are hurting, in response to those who are in great need. Now, God has called us to do the same thing. But we struggle with this sometimes to be compassionate. And there are three reasons. These are kind of like mindsets that we develop or thoughts that Satan puts in our our. our thinking banks, uh, the, the real to real in your mind that kind of makes us push back and like, uh, well, you know, I'm not sure. So here's three statements that you've probably heard, maybe you think about, maybe that rolls around in your thought processes. And the first one is this, God helps those who help, some, help themselves. How many of you heard that? How many of you think that's in the Bible? It's not. Do you know when, where the, that was written by Benjamin Franklin in, in like 1757 in the Poor Rich, Richard's Almanac. Now, Franklin has some brilliant things to say, but that wasn't one of them. All right, so what, what happens is when people gravitate to that, they were like, well, if somebody then has a need, obviously uh, they're lazy, right? They're just incompetent. They're lazy. I don't feel obligated to help them because after all, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Now, there is a kernel of truth in that, right? God doesn't you know, do everything for us. He expects us to do what we can do. And wherever we fall short, God picks up the slack. But whenever a need comes across your life and my life, and God gives us opportunity 
the one thing we don't want to do is say, well, uh, you're just lazy. You just don't want to work. That's why you have a need. Or, you know, there's all kinds of thought processes that can come through our minds. And so uh, in response is that sometimes the poor are, and the needy are neglected because we think in our minds, hey, uh, go get a job. Uh, you know, there's plenty of them out there. Fend for yourself. Do for yourself. If you help yourself, God will then help you. Bad idea, right? One of the things our, churches, our church supports and our association of churches is the Stowe Center on Parsons Avenue where we, we feed every single day except on the weekends, the hungry and the poor. We have a dental clinic, an eye clinic. We have a pregnancy center. We have uh, a food bank. We have you know, clothing. We have a psychiatrist. Uh, so Children's Hospital sends a mobile unit on site every single week to help meet the needs of the poor. We have a mentoring program. We have a tutoring program. There are a lot of things that go on in that building because of your generous giving to our church and our church helping to support this as well as the churches collectively in our association, which is 140-some churches. And the reason this ministry thrives so much so that is being used as a model in various areas around our country is because uh, you have been willing to say, hey, let's dive in there, let's help the poor, let's help the needy, because this is what God has called us to do. Or what I call the scarcity narrative, it says, well, but if I give away something, I have less. <laughs> and you know this, right? If I have two cookies and I give you one, I've only got one left. That means I'm, I've lost something. I don't have as much as I, I, I want. I probably have as much as I need. I just don't have as much as I, I want. Now, God taught the nation of Israel a great lesson when they were wandering in the wilderness through the giving of manna. And so the word manna literally means, what the heck is this? Because they didn't really know what it was. But they did know that if they ate it, they would survive that their bodies would survive and it would, it would result filling their stomachs and allowing them to exist physically. Now, here are a couple of rules about manna. Number one, you only can pick up enough for that day. Right? If you picked up more than you needed for that day, by the next day, it has rotted. It, it is not edible any longer. And the second thing is, God says, you're only allowed to get enough for your family, right? We're going to measure this out because if we don't, they used what's called an omer, they used to measure out the amount of manna you were allowed to have for your family because if they didn't, here's what not, this is what the human nature does. People would jump in there and hoard it and then you'd have plenty, more than you needed, which was going to spoil by the next day and the people you hoarded it from, they didn't have enough. I mean, look at COVID-19 and toilet paper, for crying out loud. God was trying to teach the nation of Israel a lesson. I am your provider. I will give you everything you need to survive. Do not hoard stuff for yourself. Because by hoarding it, you are making a, a scarcity in somebody else's life. You know that 
experts say that there is enough food to feed, to absolutely wipe out hunger around the world. But most of us probably have more than what we need. Amen? All right, so we've got our cabinets full, we've got our refrigerators full. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but here's what I am saying. When a need comes up and God brings it across your pathway, somebody is hungry, somebody has a need, we have a food bank we're trying to stock to help you know, feed the poor in our area. I mean, so we've got more than we need and we hoard stuff up and so maybe we could just like unload some of that and help you know, supply the food pantry with what they need to meet the needs of those here in Groveport. And when God brings a need across your, your pathway, if I don't have any margin, then I won't meet the need, right? Uh, my, my mindset will be, but if I give to you, I won't have enough. I'm going to be lacking. Hogwash. We're Americans. We don't lack anything. But this, is, this sometimes is just the way we think. And the third one is, well, what I have is mine to use for my own pleasure. Newsflash, everything you have has come from the hand of God. And God ne never gave us the license to use what we are to be stewarding any old way that we want. God has called us, yes, we have stuff, we use it for our pleasure, fine, wonderful. All God is saying and what he's challenging us with and what Paul was challenging the church at Rome in, in the area of compassion, let's not ever get to the point in our lives where we say, you know what? I'm not going to give over there. I'm not going to help over there. I'm not going to do that because after all, it's my stuff. I will do with it what I want and nobody's telling me what I can or cannot do. We should always live with open hands and a compassionate heart. I know that at times in your life and seasons in your life, you can say, but, uh, but I just don't have enough. I just can't do it anymore. I get that. I understand that. I have a gazillion medical bills, right, uh, from having cancer. And God has supplied everything. But my first thought was, you know what? I've got to pay off all of these medical bills. I'm going to withdraw giving money to this organization, to this person I'm supporting on a, a college campus and this and this to have more extra money so I can create some margin to pay for that stuff. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't yours. I never told you to withdraw anything. But you don't understand, Spirit. I, I, I'm like, I, I don't see how I'm going to make ends meet. Stop using your calculator. God's got his own calculator. You keep being faithful to the kingdom of God. And as Jesus said, all these things will be added unto you. And I'm here to tell you, I've never withdrawn any of my tithe. I've never reduced any of my tithe. I'm not reduced or pulled my, my um, giving to any outside organizations or people that my wife and I support. And God has never failed to supply our every need. And this has been going on our entire marriage. We have story after story how God has been more than gracious in our lives. But here's number six. You can always expect opposition. Always expect opposition. Chapter 15, verse 30. And he goes on to say that I urge you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle praying for God, praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. 
opposition. Listen, Paul's opponents were constantly challenging him. Read 1 Corinthians 11. Here's his his resume of opposition. Beaten, shipwrecked, flogged, all of these things. Now here's where I'm going to end this. Here's your last fill in the blank, and that is uh, teamwork. So Paul goes on to say teamwork. He says, verse um, 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So let me close with this. When I think about opposition and teamwork, you know, God, God works through a team, right? We are a team. We're a team of believers that want to be used of the Lord. But here's the thing. I, I love the story in 1 Kings 18. It's where Elijah takes on the prophets of Baal. Now, it was like a, it was like a grudge match, right? So it's like, you know, Elijah's on this side, the prophets of Baal, they're on this side. The, 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 the duel was... Whose God is really God? Like, who's the supreme being here? Is it Baal or is it Yahweh God? And so, you know, probably you, you're familiar with the story. And so the prophets of Baal, they say, hey, we're going to put together uh, an altar. We're going to put a sacrifice on the altar. We're going to pray to our God, our God Baal, that he bring fire from heaven and consume that offering. And so they did. They got into a big worship service. That thing lasted all day long. They're worshiping. They're praying to their God, Baal. And they're just like cutting themselves. And they're going to, you know, getting all hyped up in a frenzy. I mean, it'd be like if we were like outsiders coming upon the scene and be like, wow, what a movement of God that's going on here. These guys are like, they're worshiping, they're praising, they're praying, they're cutting themselves, they're going at it. And they go all day long, and Elijah finally has had enough, and he starts taunting them. Are your gods asleep? Are they, you know, can't hear what's going on here? And so finally, they give up. And Elijah, who has his altar and his sacrifice, he's doused it with a bunch of water. He prays, and all of a sudden, God's fire from heaven falls and consumes The altar consumes the sacrifice, licks up every drop of water. Now, here's the thing that gets me, is that after this happens, the prophets of Baal said, they said, there is no other Lord but Elijah's God. There's no other God. There's no other God. There is no other God. I pray for you and I that God would send us such a revival in our hearts, such a revival in our church, that when somebody comes in our doors and they experience a worship service in here, by the time we get done worshiping, they will come to the same conclusion that a the prophets of Baal came to, whether they're saved or not, is that there is no other God but Jehovah God. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee and every tongue will bow and confess him as Christ the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is power in the gospel. God has issued you his authority. He's given you the keys to the kingdom. Now let's rise up and let's start utilizing what God has gifted us with. He's given you a message. He's given you a story. He's given you the gospel. Now let's start operating in it so that others might see us burn for the Lord. If nothing else, they'll watch you set yourself on fire, but no one else will ever be able to say there is no other God except Jehovah God. Let's pray.